This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is The Morning Shift. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, millions of Americans are vaping, and young people are driving the trend. The CDC says 3.5 million middle school and high school students used e-cigarettes each month last year. That's led to concern and to action. Drug prevention experts fear the e-cigarette movement is taking teenagers down a dangerous path. Juul Labs, makers of popular e-cigarette devices, is now the target of a civil lawsuit. Like dope dealers on a street corner, Juul intentionally created addicted teen customers to get them to continuously come back for life. That last voice you heard was Lake County State's Attorney Michael Nierheim. On Monday, he filed a suit against Joel Labs, the nation's largest e-cigarette producer. He explains how and why the suit came about. So this is a suit that we've been working on for the better part of a year, and uh, the gist of it has to do with marketing, as, you, as you've already indicated, uh, the fraudulent and deceptive practices that they've used to really market their product to teenagers. This drug that is in these products is highly addictive. In fact, it's the third most addictive substance on the planet, heroin, cocaine, and then nicotine. And young people uh, in large quantities are ingesting huge amounts of this drug, and most of them have no idea that they're doing it. Can you give us some examples of, of what you call predatory marketing Jewel used? Uh, a lot of it has to do with social media campaigns where they use uh, social media influencers, uh, young people that have a lot of followers on Twitter and Instagram, um, paying those people to post pictures of themselves using their product. Uh, if you look at product placement of Juul in particular, it's very interesting if you were to take some of those ads and put them next to ads from Big Tobacco from the 60s and 70s. It's the exact same uh, playbook that was used then, uh, using themes like social inclusion, popularity, attractiveness, all in an effort to lure young people. Uh, and the biggest one is when it comes to the flavors. Uh, flavors like cotton candy, fruit, uh, creme brulee, pina colada, blueberry. These flavors are clearly intended to attract young people, and they have in massive quantities. Well, the suit also alleges uh, that Joel created a, quote, public health crisis. Talk about that. Some good news. If, uh, smoking is down to almost nothing. When we look at our Illinois Youth Survey data here in Lake County, and really that data is mirrored around the country, kids are simply not smoking cigarettes anymore. That took years. That took uh, lawsuits. That took regulation by the government and marketing. And because of the education and all the marketing that went into place, kids just simply aren't smoking cigarettes anymore. Now, most people would see that as a win, 
unfortunately, Jewel saw that as an opportunity to come in and, and get these kids addicted to that same chemical using a, uh, a different method. We should say that Joel has been adamant about its efforts to prevent youth from using e-cigarettes. Uh, Joel spokesman Ted Kwong sent a statement to WBEZ that said in part, and I'll quote him here, we have never marketed to youth and do not want non-nicotine users, especially youth, to ever try our product. He goes on to say, we have no higher priority than to prevent youth usage of our products, which is why we have taken aggressive industry-leading actions to combat youth usage. State's Attorney, what's your reaction? You know, I think it's all talk. Certainly the, the proof is in what has already been done. We, you mentioned the number in the, in the previous segment in terms of the huge amounts of young people that are using this product. And when you look at the marketing and you look at the flavors, and, and most importantly, you talk to these kids, it's very clear that this, is, this was intentional. Uh, they are trying to lure a whole new generation of customers. And, and again, with the highly addictive nature of this drug and the way that it is ingested uh, in high doses, uh, this is simply intended to get people addicted. Kids that use these devices are 10 times more likely to smoke cigarettes down the road. So it's not a smoking cessation device. This is intended to attract new customers. State's Attorney, I'm, I'm curious about how you go about proving this case. If, if Joel says these are just marketing tactics and they weren't directed at, at teens, we weren't directing them at youth, how do you connect the dots between their marketing campaign and, and young people picking up one of their products? We've actually placed uh, ads from Big Tobacco side by side with ads from Juul, and they're they're strikingly similar. So it's young, attractive models. It's people. Uh, it's again, it's social inclusion. It's groups of people. It is uh, clearly targeted at young people trying to uh, prey on them based on things that they look at in terms of, uh, again, popularity, attractiveness. But, uh, but is that enough? I, I, I could hear a marketing executive very easily say, well, we market that way to, to everyone. Sure, but these are two teenagers. And, and it's not just the marketing. It's not just the ads. It's the flavors themselves. Uh, I had a woman uh, reach out to me yesterday uh, after reading about the suit. She said that her 14-year-old daughter uh, received uh, a social media uh, request from Jewel uh, and asked her, to, she's 14, and she put in the request, the response that she was 14, to complete a survey. In that survey, she was asked about what flavor she likes. Uh, and then after completing the survey, she got a $2 coupon for a Jeweling device. If this lawsuit is successful, what kinds of damages are you seeking? So under the Illinois Consumer Fraud Act, there is damages of up to $50,000 per violation. So we're looking for monetary damages to help recover the cost of not only uh, education, but also treatment. So we want, there's a lot of programs here in Lake County and really all over the state that are helping uh, to try to recover from what has been created here. Uh, but right now that cost is all being borne by the taxpayers or the people that are addicted themselves. Uh, but also we want them to stop. We want them to stop marketing this product to kids and to stop lying about the way they're marketing the product to kids. State's Attorney, uh, yesterday a class action lawsuit was filed in West Virginia against Joel and two other companies claiming they targeted teenagers and preteens. Do you think this is the beginning uh, of a trend and that we'll see more lawsuits like this in the future? I really do. I know the uh, Attorney General in North Carolina a couple of months ago had filed a suit similar to ours, and I'm sure there are going to be more and more suits 
coming. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time talking about nicotine and, and how terrible that drug is, but the other reality is, is there's lots of other chemicals in these devices that young people are ingesting unknowingly, uh, some of them carcinogens and lung irritants. Uh, there's been several reports recently of young people being treated at the ER for respiratory problems um, as a result of them juuling. So not only I think are we going to see more and more suits like ours brought by municipalities, but I think we're going to see more and more class actions and more and more suits brought by individuals for damages that they've sustained uh, as a result of this product. Now, we should say Juul is the top-selling e-cigarette company in the nation, but there are, there are lots of players. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. What else are you looking for when it comes to education or, or the way these uh, e-cigarettes are, are regulated? You know, what you're doing now is a big part of this. I mean, just having this discussion and, and making people aware of how dangerous this product can be is huge. I mean, uh, I can't tell you how many parents I've talked to since there's been media coverage about this that have said, you know, geez, my son or daughter vapes, and I didn't even know it was harmful. Um, so having that discussion is, is very important. Uh, the community discussion is important. Education is important. So these are all things we hope to accomplish by this, in addition to paying the monetary costs that have gone into uh, you know, combating the epidemic they've created. Well, on July 1st, Illinois raised its tobacco purchasing age from 18 to, to 21, and that includes the purchase of e-cigarettes. Are, are you looking for things on the state or local level, other changes that might help tap down this trend? Yes, I'd like to see uh, regulations regarding marketing similar to what had been put into place with Big Tobacco. Uh, there should also be a requirement that the chemicals that are listed that are in this product be listed. And they've started labeling nicotine uh, as being in this product, but the other 31 other types of dangerous chemicals that are in this product, including uh, chemicals like formaldehyde, those aren't listed. And when you think about the flavors and the fact that this is called juice uh, and it comes in a water vapor, a lot of young people think that this is not only harmless, some people think it's healthy. They have no idea what they're ingesting. So um, I'd like to see more information put on the packaging with regard to what's in these products. And I really simply don't see the need for selling uh, flavors like pink lemonade. Uh, If this is truly a smoking cessation product, um, and they want to market it to adults, that's fine. But but when you're marketing flavors like pink lemonade and grape and, and things like that, that's that's clearly aimed at a different population. That's Lake County State's Attorney Michael Nierheim. State's Attorney, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The first day of school is just a couple of weeks away, and groups around the city are holding giveaways to send students back to school prepared. They can include everything from backpacks to school supplies. One such group is holding its giveaway this weekend. The Clio Community Family Life Center, which stands for Keep Loving Each Other, will hold its annual Peace Festival this Saturday in Washington Park. Joining me now for more on what to expect at the Peace Festival is Leslie Honoré, Executive Director of the Clio Center. Welcome to the program. Thank 
you so much for having me. So first, tell us more about the Clio Center and the mission of your group. Absolutely. The Clio Center was founded roughly about 13 years ago. Our founder, Tori Barrett, lost his sister due to domestic violence, and her name was Cleo. So he created the center in her memory using her name, really whose main focus was to help women um, overcome domestic violence. In the decades plus, what we've become is a pillar in the Washington Park community, and what we do is combat community violence, um, and we do that through the arts, through mentoring, through after-school programming, and at the root of it, love. And you're actually wrapping uh, your One Summer Chicago program? Yes, it's one of my favorite programs that we are able to partner with the city of Chicago with. Um, We employed roughly about 300 youth across the city. Um, They work with other community-based organizations, small businesses, really learning the soft skills that often kids in our community can't get readily. So how to fill out an application, how to work with a team, how to clock in, how long your lunch break should be. Um, So they're paid a stipend and they learn great skills that will carry them um, for a very long time. And why is that summer employment so important? Summer employment is really how we combat violence in the city. Um, we give our kids something to do. We continue to fill in those gaps. We prepare them for the workforce. We prepare them to make different pathways to profession. And then we also help them economically. So learning how to handle money, what a bank account looks like, what taxes are. I love when my kids get their first check and they're like, <laughs> where does this money go? Um, so we re- really use it as life skills opportunities. My favorite program that we do run in the summer is Chicago Ability. So this is our second year I'm running it with the city of Chicago. And it gives us an opportunity to really catch those 14 and 15-year-olds who age out of the park district but aren't really old enough to work. Um, So they're paid a stipend to learn arts programming. And this summer we had 140 youth. Um, We had five instructors, four of which were all college students. So I really wanted our youth to see that the arts has a pathway for profession as well and a pathway for higher education. And they studied everything from dance. We had a a graduate from Juilliard School of Ballet. I had 14 and 15-year-old boys in Jordans doing ballet stretches. They did painting. They did djembe drumming um, and upright bass, um, creative writing. It was really awesome. And to cap it all off, we had a social justice program talking about knowing your rights and building better relationships with the police in our community. How do you connect young people to the Clio Center? Um, A lot of it is word of mouth. Um, We have youth who've been with us since they were five and go through all of our programs um, through high school and come back and some of them actually teach. Um, We're open year-round, so it's really community-based. We are there for the Washington Park community, the greater South Side, and all of Chicago. So while your work is is centered on, on young people, What do you see in terms of the ripple effect uh, out into the neighborhood and and just within the family itself? Um, It's really important that our youth feel that they are listened to, that they are valued, that they are heard, that they're giving a safe space to explore how they rewrite their own narrative. Um, And that we're talking to them not as if that they are the problem. Um, but they're the solution and empowering them with uh, the ability to make choices and options and have resources to do that. Um, And that's really how um, we change and move the needle. Um, However, we don't focus just on youth. One of my favorite days at the Clio Center is the first Wednesday of every month. We partner with the Greater Chicago Food Depository and we have a mobile food bank. Um, So anyone is welcome to come. We have a lot of seniors. Um, So it's really great to give away 
absolutely free fresh fruit and vegetables and staples. Um, we have a chef who comes out and does a tutorial on how to make you know healthy meals with the food that arrives that day. Um, so we really see ourselves as a hub. If we're not able to provide the direct resource, we can link you and make sure you have connections to do that. Um, but healing a community happens at all levels. I want to get into the details of the event this weekend, but I also want to say you don't just have this nonprofit. Um, You're also an artist. You're a poet. How has your art informed the work you do with the Glio Center? As a writer and as a published author, it's how I process my own trauma. For me being a survivor of domestic violence, it was how I was able to heal. I feel very uh, connected to Cleo's mission um, and to how we began, um, but more so really empowering our youth to talk about their trauma and process it through the arts. It's one of the first things that gets cut. Um, It's one of the first things that um, is not readily available to black and brown communities. Fine art is often seen as something of privilege. So giving them exposure to really see themselves reflected. When we do our arts program at Clio, we study black and brown artists. We take them to black-owned galleries. They meet artists who look like them. Our mural was done by David Anthony Geary, a black artist here in Chicago. The art that's inside Clio, he's donated. And it reflects them. They see themselves and know that fine art is not just something that is for north of Madison, but it's something that they can appreciate and create and take back their stories and have the autonomy to do so. I think it's the most powerful thing we have to connect all of our threads of humanity. Can you describe some of the transformation you see? Oh, absolutely. To have a a 14-year-old to come into a painting class and never have picked up a brush before and learn color theory and learn the grid method and learn that people were taking selfies forever. (laughs) What Frida Kahlo did is basically selfies. Took a little more time, but yeah. A little bit more time, but we have been doing, you know, reflections of ourselves since we could create. And then to see them create a work of art and have it on canvas and have somebody want to purchase it to take them into a black-owned gallery and then see beautiful works of art and then ask how much it costs. And I say, oh, that's about $8,000, and their eyes open up. For them, thinking of art as a profession isn't laid out before them. So for them to be able to see that, to see that there are other pathways to success, often our youth hear that you have to be an academic or an athlete to be successful. And I believe we have so many more artists, and we just have to open the doors for them and give them an opportunity to get their hands dirty and see what they create. Um, But it is hugely transformative. We uh, run a music theater program with partnership of After School Matters, and we did Fences. And That's August Wilson's. Yeah. If you're going to do famous play, <laughs> if you're going to do black theater in a black community with black youth, you start with August Wilson. Yeah. That's how you build foundation. But I got a lot of pushback and the kids did not want to do it. And we spent six weeks of rehearsal and our program director, um, Aretha McCullough, who is amazing, you know, was just like, I don't know if they're really going to take to this. And week before their final performance, there was a huge breakdown. Um, a fight between the father and son character and the characters that the kids were pulling from. And it got very emotional. And it turned into a very large peace circle where we really discussed how some of the topics um, that August Wilson wrote about are prevalent in their lives today. They talked about their relationships, how it triggered some anger and some loss. And it did exactly what August 
writing does. It carries those themes. It carries um, our humanity, and it gives us an opportunity to re- reflect and process and work through it and work on healing. So I was over the moon, and they got it. I want to make sure we talk about the event that's happening Absolutely. this Saturday, uh, the Peace Festival in Washington Park. Uh, talk about just some quickly the details, what people can expect when they get there. Well, this is our 11th year of doing the um, Peace Fest, and we are so lucky to have um, the Allstate Foundation sponsoring this year because it's our love letter to the Washington Park community and the greater Southside community at home because it's completely free. Um, so what we do is just celebrate. We celebrate the end of the summer. We celebrate our youth working hard, um, and then we want to prepare them uh, for the new school year. And a lot of that is making them feel good about themselves. So we have barbers who will be doing haircuts around the clock, backpacks and school supplies. We have food. Um, we'll have ponies um, and horses and, and things that sometimes our kids can't get to. Sometimes Lincoln Park is really far away. So having some petting zoos there and animals really just change it a little bit and make it really fun. We have a wonderful act, our jazz act, Elect Tech is actually one of our instructors from our Chicago Ability Program. So he has a trio. They'll be singing and doing jazz and some modern music. Um, so it's just a fun way to celebrate and also make sure our kids have everything they need for the upcoming school year. Well, the Peace Festival is this Saturday at Washington Park from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. We will tweet out the details from WBEZ Morning. And that's Leslie Honoré, Executive Director of the Clio Community Family Center. Leslie, thanks so much for speaking Thank with us. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about my kids. That's it for today's Morning Shift. Join us tomorrow for our Friday News Roundup, a lively roundtable of the biggest local stories of the week with three of the area's top journalists. Until then, I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.